Well, you know, in the Bible, it talks about them having the Lord's Supper and some were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. So it's interesting. Yes, it is. But understand what God says about this. And I told you to look someplace, didn't I? The book of uh, Proverbs chapter, chapter 20. So look there in Proverbs chapter 20. Uh, look in verse 1. I believe that's where the verse is I want you to see. Chapter 20, verse 1. Look what he says. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is what? Is not white. Now that's the Word of God. Now so when this is in here, this is talking about when it's fermented. And so God says, I believe the Word of God says, you don't want that. Why? If I have to give an account to God for all of my words and my thoughts, my deeds, why would I do anything that could keep me from thinking right? And it will keep you from thinking clearly. Why run the risk? I wouldn't want to run that risk. Uh, look there, right there in chapter 23. Look in chapter 23. Look in verse 21, where he makes this statement. Let's just look in verse 20. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. Don't be among those wine-bibbers. You know, people that drink the fermented wine. Look what else he said in verse 21. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. It's not put in a high, you know, category with the Lord. It's like, this is really good for you. But now what, notice what else he says. Look in, down in verse 29. Verse 29, you need to see this. Verse 29 says, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? Now, look at the answer. They that tarry long at the wine, that they go to seek mixed wine. It's not the fresh, now it's fermented. Look what he says in verse 31. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. That means when it's fermented. In verse 30, at the last it biteth like a serpent, like poison. It addeth like an adder, stingeth. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. Thine heart shall utter perverse things. Because people begin to lose control of how they think. They can't think clearly. You'd be surprised how much damage is done because a man starts drinking. When you become an alcoholic or a drunkard, as the Bible calls it, you ruin your health. You can ruin your life. You can cost you your job. You can cost you your family. You can do a lot of damage just because you can't control that. Well, I just take a little social drink. And the more you drink, the more sociable you get. So should you be careful? I do believe that it would be wise. Now look what he says here in verse 35. They have stricken me, shall thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I wake? I shall seek it yet again. In other words, you'd be surprised at what it can do to individuals. They can fall, and it seems like they don't get hurt. They can be beat up, and they don't feel a thing. Hey, my dad was a drunk. My dad had his own liquor still. I watched all this stuff. I watched them lose their mind. 
But anyway, we're going to cover this next week. Now, go back to the book of John. Got to keep remembering where we are. <laughs> John chapter 2. So the miracle has been performed. The disciples believed on him. And then notice down in verse 13. Verse 13. The Bible says that God told him in the wilderness to build this tabernacle. And that the Lord would meet with them in the Holy of Holies. And there was this thick veil. And even when they built Solomon's temple, when they built Solomon's temple, they uh, had this big old veil up there, and they had the outer court, they had the holy place, and the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is where they had the Ark of the Covenant that contained some things like the manna and uh, the rod that... Aaron had that budded and also a copy of the Ten Commandments that were placed into this ark. And it was in the Holy of Holies. And this is where the Shekinah glory, that God would meet with them. And His cloud would come over the tabernacle or over the temple. In the wilderness, when it moved, they knew to move. And it would be a pillar of fire to protect them and give them warmth and light and so forth, even in the nighttime cloud to follow in the daytime. So God watched over His people, and He led them strange and mysterious ways. And when they rebuilt the temple, you see, after it had been destroyed, because, you see, the Assyrians came in, and they took the northern ten tribes into captivity. Because, you see, it had been divided after Solomon. See, all those women that Solomon had, it cost the nation of Israel. And that's why He says, because of thy sin, the kingdom will be divided after your death. Ten tribes to the north, they would be known as Israel, their capital in Samaria. Then you had the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and Jerusalem was the capital there. So they both had kings. And so you'll read in the Kings and the Chronicles, and they talk about the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and so forth. And sometimes they had the same name. It would blow your mind. So they were taken into captivity because of their rebellion to God. So you'd think they would be smarter, but they wouldn't listen either. And so Nebuchadnezzar came in, and he laid siege about them, and destroyed the city, the wall, the temple, took all the things of the temple, and took them over to Babylon. So now the people, after 70 years, they went back to Jerusalem, and rebuilt the temple, temple. But the temple was made out of the rubble that had been left over that had been destroyed. So their temple was not as glorious as Solomon's was. And so the people, the older saints, they sat down and they wept because they remember the way it was. And now they see it the way it is now. And the temple that they had was nothing like what they used to have. But the temple was supposed to be the place where God would meet with His people. But when they came back unto Ezra and Nehemiah, they didn't want to just build the temple or the walls. They wanted to build their own homes. But God says, hold on. I'm first. I'm first. You build my house. You take care of me and what I want, and I'll take care of the rest of it. So finally, they wind up doing it. But Herod comes along later and Builds Herod's temple. It means he beautified what was there, made it nice, big, and so forth, and it was a glorious temple, but nothing like Solomon's temple. 
But you have Herod's temple now, and the one that had been rebuilt took them seven weeks. Seven weeks were seven years each out of the Daniel's captivity. When he talked about 70 years into captivity and 70 weeks from the time that they went back to rebuild the wall and the temple until the Messiah would be threescore and seven weeks. But what you have is one week of seven years each, which would be 49 years. So from the time they left and got there and finished building that temple was seven weeks or 49 years, a total. Now Jesus is standing there after all these years, and he goes into the temple. It's Passover. And of course the Passover is when he said, I see the blood, I will pass over. That's mainly from back in the times of when Israel was down in Egypt. And the firstborn of every family would die unless they killed an animal, usually a lamb, and they put the blood upon the, the doorpost and the lintel. And so when death came and saw the blood, said, I'll pass over. So this is why we know that when Jesus was crucified, it was him that died for the sins of the world. And so when we believe that blood that shed by Christ is applied to us. And so when God sees the blood, he passes over us. That's what it's referring to. But now Jesus is here in Jerusalem and going to the temple. And lo and behold, he doesn't like what he sees. Because you see, there was rich folks and there's the average folks and then there's poor folks. If you were rich and you had it, you had to give an ox. But if you were really poor, you could give a little dove. Now when Mary went, remember, in the book of Luke, and Jesus was going to be circumcised, and then when they came in to the Passover, uh, they offered doves. They were poor. But what they would do is they would be money changers there because of all the different countries that had ruled over Israel. You know, you had the, after Babylon, then you had the Medes and the Persians, then you had the Alexandrian Empire, then you had the Roman Empire. And so they're money changers changing money. And when you change money into another form of money, you would be gypped. They wouldn't give you the right amount. I've experienced that when I went down into Egypt. And I've been in other places. <laughs> and you have to be very careful. And if you don't know the exchange rate, they can wipe you out, bud. And they'll tell you, you need to buy this much and this much and this much. And when you get ready to leave our country, we'll take it back. Uh-uh. They don't want it back. Or really reduce it. It's going to cost you. But anyway, if you notice up here in uh, verse 13, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Found in the temple those that sold oxen for the rich, sheep and doves, doves for the poor, and the changers of money setting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he asked for a dialogue called the United Nations to find out what do y'all think we ought to do about this? 
because he didn't want to offend anybody, and so he asked everybody's opinion. Is that what it says in your Bible? It doesn't say that? Huh. He drove them out of the temple, and the sheep, and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money. Now, you, you don't do that in, you know, ten seconds. It must have been some time getting all the animals out of there, and getting all the, overthrowing the tables, and chasing all the people out. I mean, one man, Jesus was not a sissy. They always show him some nice long hair, some little weak, like, like he's been on nothing but health food. You know, you ever seen some people, that all, just, all these health food, and they look so weak and skinny, and they can't hardly move? Uh, they got it better now, but Lee Patton used to try to do that with me. I mean, I thought I was going to die. He gave me, you know, apricots and three sunflower seeds and two of this and one of this and a, a prune. And, you know, I mean, I, I said, Lee, I can't, I can't live on this. i got to have some food. <laughs> so I'd sneak down to the corner of McDonald's and get me a hamburger. But anyway, but they show some little old weak, skinny Jesus. Listen, Jesus was a carpenter. I believe he was a man's man. I don't believe he was a sissy of any kind. And so, and he became a youth leader. Remember, when he had his disciples, Jesus was young, but he was about 30 years of age. But these other guys could have been teenagers. And the oldest one was probably Peter. But you're talking about somebody that was young. He was a youth leader. That's what I like about him. But he goes into here and he says this in verse 16. And he said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house has eaten me up. In other words, I think he was burning mad. Burning mad. Jesus, yes. You see, there is a thing called, you know, righteous anger, holy anger. Does God get angry? Yes. Does God have wrath? Yes. All right. He says in verse 18, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us? Seeing that thou doest these things. I mean, show us a sign. What right do you have to come in here and do all that you're doing? You know what the Bible says? Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew what they were going to ask before they even asked. But notice what he says. And they wanted to give us a sign. He said, okay, you want a sign. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And look what, it, look what they said in verse 20. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building. Because you see, by the time they had left in Babylon, and the time they got back and got everything together, you know, a couple years had passed. So they're saying, Forty-six years building this temple, and you're going to do what? Raise it in three days? Now, what temple do you think he's talking about? He's talking about his body. They thought he was talking about that temple. But that temple was where the presence of the Lord was to meet with his people. And the Bible says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Him himself was the temple of God. And he was here. Now, whenever we trust Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within us and our body is now the temple of the Holy Ghost, the temple of God. So you don't have to worry about, you didn't come into the presence of God this morning. God doesn't live in this building. He lives inside of your body. Your body is the temple of God. And wherever you go, He goes with you. Be careful where you go. 
You don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit that lives within you. And many times we do. Now notice what he says here. In verse 21, But he spake of the temple of his body. Did he keep his word? When he was crucified, Jesus came back from the dead after three days. In verse 22, when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remember that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. So many people believed the message because of what he was able to do. Now we have such a wonderful, powerful message because, see, they talked about the payment Christ was going to make. Remember John the Baptist saw him and says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. We hadn't done it yet. He's been crucified, buried, came back from the dead, and now we can look back to an event that literally happened, literally took place. He ascended into heaven and we can believe the story. We have the complete Word of God so that we can know that what we believe is the truth. Now, let me just mention this. It's not like you haven't heard it before. Christ died on the cross. All right, think about it. Who did He die for? He died for all those other heathen. He didn't have to die for us because we were so good. Well, see, there's some people think, well, I'm not that bad. I haven't done that bad. I haven't killed anybody. I mean, I haven't, you know, I don't go around murdering people. I haven't robbed any banks. And Christ only has to die for those sinners. And I'm not one of them. Or am I? Are you trying to tell me I'm the preacher of this church and I'm a sinner? What? That was too loud. Am I a sinner? Listen, what does it mean to be a sinner? Well, it means you're not perfect. Ah, see, it doesn't matter how big your sin was. It was just, are you perfect or not? If you're not perfect, we are sinners. So Christ came and died for all sinners. And that's everybody in the world. And so all we had to do, remember this. When Christ died, what did he die for? All of our sins. Now, why did he die for our sins? So that we wouldn't have to. So that we could go to heaven. Well, if what he did doesn't help us get to heaven, then why did he do it? You see, there's people who are trying to earn their way to heaven by their good deeds. Well, then why did Christ have to die? He died because my good deeds are not good enough. He died to pay for my sins because there was no other way. All I had to do is believe that when he died, he did that for me. And he puts that payment he made to my account. I get to go to heaven on what Christ did. So once you trust him as your Savior, you have what? Eternal life. You have the free gift of eternal life. If it's eternal life, how long would it last? It lasts forever. Well, if it lasts forever and all of my sins are paid, where will I go when I die? I'm going to heaven. So can a man know he's going to heaven before he dies? Of course, that's what it's all about. I don't have to wait for 30 years down the road when I finally croak 
And I stand before God and He puts all my good works on this side and all my, all, all my bad works on this side. And i got to sit there and wonder which way it's going to go. No, that's not true. Why? I already know I'm going to heaven because God took all my bad and paid for it. I don't have any sins to pay for. He paid for all of mine. You say, you don't deserve that. I know. That's why it says, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So does a man have to go to church to go to heaven? Does he have to give money to go to heaven? Does he have to stop his sins to go to heaven? No. Does he have to promise he's going to live good? No. People don't get it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So when you believe it, He gives you eternal life and that's how you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. And God said, I'll never cast you out and I'll never lose you. Eternal life is just that. It is eternal. And it is free. It doesn't cost you anything. We serve the Lord not to get to heaven but I serve the Lord because I'm already going to heaven. You say, what if you don't serve Him? I'm still going to heaven because it was based on me trusting Him. He said He would save me, not me save me, not Him help me save me. No, He would save me. That's how I know. Look up here. This hand representing you and me. God says that He loves us, but we're born into this world with an old sinful nature. It means we sin naturally. You don't have to be taught how to sin. Well, I did. No, no. Everybody sins. This wallet represents sin. We have all sinned. And because we've sinned, the wages of sin is death. So we have a debt to pay. But God loves us. But He doesn't want us to pay for this sin because that's eternal separation from Him. So the Bible says to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, as righteous as God. None of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. We're all sinners. And God says you cannot save yourself by what you do. We need a Savior. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into the world because He loves us. Hates our sin because it separates us from Him. So what Christ did for one person, He did for the whole world. Took all the sin of all the world, made one payment, came back from the dead, never has to do it again. They're all paid. And God says, when I believe that He did it for me, He puts this payment to my account. I'm forgiven of all my sins. It's just like I died and I paid for all of my sins. My debt is paid. So I don't have to go to hell and pay for sin because He paid for my sins. And once you accept that payment, it's a done deal. Paid in full. He died for my sins. Oh, that's good news. Now, if you'll believe He did it for you, guess what He'll do? He'll save you just like He did me. Everybody gets to heaven the same way. You accept Christ as your Savior or you don't go. Isn't that fair? All you have to do is believe it. Will you believe that He did this for you? Now, you're here this morning, and I, I don't know if you trust Christ as Savior. And I want you to. I want you to go to heaven. I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to think, well... I'm going to do the best I can. <laughs> then you don't get it. The best you can do is not good enough. You need a payment for your sin. Christ did that. Will you trust Him as your Savior? Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking around. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you trust Him? 
All I want you to do is right where you're sitting, I want you to talk to the Lord. You see, you don't make a mistake this way. Only the Lord knows your thoughts. He can read your mind. But just tell him something simple like this. Lord, I'm a sinner. I don't understand it all. But I believe Jesus Christ died on that cross and paid for my sins. Today, right now, this moment, I will accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. And friend, God said if you would do just that much, it's all you have to do, that he would save you from hell, give you eternal life, and you get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for you. Would you trust him? I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand. Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. And I like to know. So with head by nice clothes, is there anyone at all this morning say, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. And preach, I'd like you to pray for me. Would you slip it up real quickly and put it right back down? If you've already trusted the Lord, you don't have to do it again. But if you've never done it before, say right now, I will trust the Lord. Would you slip it up real quickly and put it right back down? Anyone at all? Yes, God bless you, man. I appreciate that. A sign of good judgment. Anyone else? You can put it down. Remember, by trusting Christ as your Savior, He gives you eternal life, and He'll never cast you out and never lose you. You that know Christ as your Savior, has He been talking to you this morning? Are you walking with Him? I want you to serve Him. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we thank You so much for all You've done for us. We thank You for the privilege of preaching Your Word. And Father, we know that there's wisdom in this message and people to hear it and understand it and realize the importance of what Christ did for us and to serve Him, not because we have to, but because we want to. Bless each one. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.